Father in heaven, this evening, as we study the Bible together, it's my prayer that every one of us would be open and honest-hearted as we look at Scripture. Please guide our understanding, guide our minds now, for we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you remember several nights ago, I shared a quote from Winston Churchill. I don't have it on the screen tonight. But the quote basically says something like this. Most people, they, they will come across the truth, but when they do, they're alarmed because it's like the truth is going to be inconvenient for them. Does that make sense? And, you know, prophecy says in the book of Timothy, Paul says that in the last days, people would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What does that mean? It just means that prophecy predicted that in the last days, popular preaching would become things that would make people feel good. Does that make sense? Now, I don't know that it's not our goal here to offend people. I think you, you can already pick that up. That's not our goal. But our goal here has definitely been to present what the Bible says. Does that make sense? And I want to challenge you because some of the things that we're talking about are not easy to, un they're not easy to accept. Does that make sense? But I want to I give you this. Like, it's not true just because we presented it. Go back and look at the Bible for yourself. You can even talk to your pastor or your priest or your rabbi or whatever, but see it in the Bible for yourself. Does that make sense? That's my challenge to you. I want to do a little exercise with you tonight. This is an exercise. This is like an exercise of logic. And if you've ever studied logic, the idea is to take a conclusion to its furthest extreme to see what the, you know, whether it's true or false. So as the words appear on the screen, I want to invite you to say them out loud with me. Is that okay? The first word is people. They go to church. They go to hear the preacher. They want him to preach from the gospel. And that gospel is about Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? He, he died on the cross, right? And why did he die on the cross? Yes, to save us from sin, right? And if you were with us on Wednesday night, we explained from the Bible, 1 John 3, 4, which says, he that committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So if I could put this in summation, sin is breaking God's law. Is that simple? That's just the simple Bible definition. Okay, as you know, it is not a commonly accepted fact in Christianity that God wants us to keep the commandments, okay? In fact, as I shared with you the other night, the ideas of the, the commandments have been nailed to the cross. They've been done away with. It was only for the Jews. These ideas are so prevalent. But if you read Paul's writings in the New Testament, it's actually pretty clear, and not just Paul's writings, but Jesus' words as well, it's pretty clear that the, the Bible doesn't even deal with this idea of the Ten Commandments being done away with. Rather, it focuses on the ceremonial law that Jesus, when he died, abolished. Does that make sense? So I want to just give a little bit of room for this idea just to see what the, what would the conclusion would be 
if there was really no more Ten Commandments. So let's, let's just start all over again. And I'm going to get rid of that law there at the bottom. So let's start from the top again and let's say this together. The people go to church to hear the, preach the, which is about who died on the, to save us from our. Did you know that Romans 5.13 says, sin is not imputed where there is no law? Do you know what that means? That means if there's no law, that means you can't break it or you can't sin. Does that make sense? So, if there's no law, as some churches teach, that means then there's no more what? Sin. Because Romans 5.13 says, sin is not imputed when there is no law. Does that make sense? So, if there's no law, that, guess what? That means there's no more sin. Let's start from the top. The go to, to hear the, preach the, which is about who died on the. Okay, so think for a moment. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To pay the penalty for our sin. Does that make sense? But think about this for a moment. If there is no more sin because there is no more law, then that means if there's no law, there's no sin, then that means Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. Let's start from the top again. The go to, to hear the, preach the, which is about. Now pause for a moment. Jesus lived a perfect life, didn't he? But if Jesus didn't die for our sins, there's no gospel. Does that make sense? Which means if there is no more Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, which is really the transgression of God's law, if there's no law, there's no sin. If there's no sin, Jesus didn't even die on the cross. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, Jesus takes the same role as all of the other luminaries in history that taught good things. You know who I'm talking about, like Confucius and all these other people, right? That means he's not special. Let's start again from the top. The go to, to hear the, preach the. Well, what is the gospel? If you don't have Jesus dying on the cross to save us from our sin, which is the transgression of God's law, then guess what, folks? There, there's no more gospel. Does that make sense? Let's start at the top. The go to, to hear the. Now, I'm not going to generalize. I know in Westchester and in the surrounding areas, there's tons of great churches. I'm not going to generalize. But I know there are churches today where they don't talk about sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are churches today where it's, the sermon is basically like a be-all-you-can-be kind of a thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a place where you are, you're coached, you're motivated. You're like, you know, the, the, the preacher is more like a motivational speaker, okay? And do you know, this is a fact, that across the nation, almost ex with one, ex one or two exceptions, all denominations across the board are losing attendees. Did you know that? Which means less and less people are going to church, okay? Now, tonight I want to review something that the prophecies that we've been studying pointed out. I want you to notice in Daniel 7... The prophecy made a very specific reference to the activity of the Antichrist power. Notice number eight. It would think to change what? Times and laws. Now, I want to point something out. We saw this fulfillment. We learned that this Antichrist power would think, it doesn't really, but it thought that it could change God's law. 
But it doesn't just say that it would change God's law. It says that it would think to change what else? Times and laws. Now, I want to point something out. There is a very specific part of the commandments that deals with time. What part of the commandments is that? Please notice what it says. Remember the what? The Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now, Satan has an agenda. And I want to point something out that maybe some of you knew, but maybe some of you didn't know. I want you to notice Exodus 31, verse 13. Here's what it says. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my what? Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Now, just to explain the word sanctify, it's not a hard word. The word sanctify just means to set apart for a holy purpose. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the dictionary definition. To sanctify something means to set it apart for a holy purpose. If God sanctifies us, that means he separates us from sin. Does that make sense? We don't do it. God does it. Can you say amen to that? So the Sabbath was a sign that God is the one who saves us because to sanctify someone really means to just set them apart for a holy use. But that's not all it was for. The Bible says in the next verse, wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a what? Sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord, what did he do? He made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So if I could summarize it for you, it's like this. The Sabbath was a reminder that God was the one who delivers us from sin, but it was also a reminder that God was the one who made us. Now, when Satan attacks the Sabbath, he's really attacking Jesus, and let me show you why. This is John 1.1. Some of you probably have memorized this, but notice what it says. In the beginning was the... Now, did you notice it's capital W? Now, in, in Greek, there is no, punk, there is no uppercase, lowercase in the, in the classical Greek. However, the translators understood that this was a proper noun. This is someone's name. Are you with me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, what's the subject of verse 1? It's, it's the word. It's Jesus, right? And now in verse 3, it says that all things were made by him, speaking of the word. Well, if we want to know who the word is, it's very simple. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the word? It's Jesus. Did you know the Bible teaches that Jesus is the creator? I don't know if you knew that, but that's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't just say it there. Hebrews 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the what? So did you notice that Jesus in Scripture, I could give you more references, Colossians, I could go to many places. The Bible credits Jesus not only as our Redeemer, but also as the Creator. Maybe that's something that some of you may not have known before. Now, when was the Sabbath made? Well, let's go back to Genesis 2, verse 2, and here's what it says. On the seventh day, God, what did he do? He ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God did what? 
He blessed the seventh day and did what else? Sanctified it. That means to set apart for a holy purpose because that in it he had what? Rested from all his work which God created and made. God didn't need to rest like we do. God is all-powerful, but he did it for his creation. Does that make sense? I want to do a little astronomy quiz with you tonight. What happens to this planet every 365 and a quarter days? What happens to it? It goes around the sun one time, right? It's like 365 a quarter and some hours, right? But that's, that's basically what happens. It goes around the sun. By the way, what do we get from that, that one, like, event? What do we get? A year. That's where we get the year, right? Does that make sense? Okay, let's keep going. What happens to Earth every 29.6 days? The moon makes one complete rotation. Are, are, are we together? What do we get from that? We get a month, right? That's where we get the month. It's the lunar cycle, right? Okay. What happens to this planet every 24 hours? The Earth makes one rotation on its axis. What do we get from that? A day. So don't miss this. Where do we get the year from? Earth goes around the sun. Where do we get the month from? Moon goes around the Earth. Where do we get the day from? Earth rotates. What happens to planet Earth every seven days? Nothing. Okay, no, don't, don't laugh. No, this is serious, okay? So I want you to think about something. I want you to think about this, and this is a real question. Why is it that every culture on Earth keeps a seven-day weekly cycle? Now, I don't know if you know your history, but you can go back and research what I'm about to say. There have been some cultures around the world that wanted to change the weekly cycle, okay? Now, if you lived in Russia during the time of Stalin, I don't know if you know, but he tried to change the work week to just five, like to change the weekly cycle to just five days. That plan miserably failed. Now, during the French Revolution, there was an attempt made to lengthen the week to 10 days. That also miserably failed. And so every culture, whether they have Judeo-Christian roots or not, every culture in the world is focused on seven days being a weekly cycle. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint about something that you may have never heard of, but it's a real branch of science now. And it's called the Circa Septin Rhythms. Okay, so what that phrase, Circa means like a circle, right? Septin means seven. And what they have, scientists have discovered is that not just human beings, but even animals, and I'm not talking about just mammals, I'm talking about even like simple, like protozoa and these other types of biological creatures, their biological rhythms function on a seven-day cycle. Now, the question is this, why? We're, we're, what There's no astronomical explanation for seven days. Are you with me? We get the year from the Earth going around the sun. We get the month from the moon going around the Earth. We get the day from the Earth rotating. Why does every culture in the world keep a seven-day week? The only explanation is that God created the Earth in six days 
and he rested on the seventh day. Does that make sense? That's the only explanation that there is. Now, this is going to be the hard part of the subject tonight. According to the Bible, which day is the Sabbath? Well, you go to the encyclopedia, it says that the Sabbath comes on which day? Saturday. Now, look, if you are a linguist, my wife, she hasn't come to the series because she works, but my wife speaks about seven languages, and they're not related. Like, she can speak French, she can speak Russian, she used to speak Chinese. Very gifted when it comes to languages. But what's fascinating is that if you understand languages, the name for the seventh day of the week, in, not, not, in, not in English, but in other cultures, like some people here I think speak Spanish, right? What's the name for the seventh day of the week in Spanish? It's sabado. Sabado. Now, that's very interesting because that word sabado, it's from the root of this idea which means to stop. Now, I know that, that that may be unfamiliar to you, but like, okay, Germans, if anybody has German background here, you automatically know which day is the seventh because for Germans, Wednesday is called Mittwoch. You know what Mittwoch means? It means the middle of the week, okay? But okay, let me explain. The word Sabbath, it just means to cease. To cease what? To stop working, okay? That's what it means. And I know that there are some of you more scientifically minded, and you're sitting here, you're thinking, maybe somewhere along the way, we forgot which day is the seventh. You know, maybe somewhere like calendar, yeah, it's true, calendars did change. Let me explain something. Astronomy today is so advanced. If we destroyed every watch, every cell phone, every calendar, astronomers can point their telescopes into the sky. They can tell you what year, what month, what day, and approximately what time it is just by looking at the sky. We know from asking that although the calendars have been changed, there has been no break in the continuity of the weekly cycle. Does that make sense? Not only that, if you just go, so I know that some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, wait a minute, there is no word for Saturday or Sunday in the Bible so how do we know, according to the Bible, which day is the Sabbath? Are you with me? So here's how we answer that. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. Now, what does that mean? The day that Jesus died was called the what day? The preparation day. And then what was the next day? The Sabbath. Okay. And then it says, And the woman also, which came with him from Galilee, they followed after, and they beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the what day? The Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now, I want to explain something. In Jesus' day, to prepare one body, just one body for burial, it required about 300 pounds of myrrh, aloe, spices, and other fluids. 300 pounds. So, do you understand that for them, when Jesus died, it was on a Friday... And they got all the stuff ready, but they wouldn't do it because the commandment says that on the Sabbath you shouldn't what? Work. So they got it all ready, and then they stopped. Then it says, upon the which day? First day of the week. Very early, they came into the sepulcher bringing the spices. And guess what? They came, and they didn't find Jesus. Now, 
I'm going to put this there on the screen. In the Bible, here's the, the events. The day that Jesus died, the next day, and the day that Jesus rose. I want to ask you, the day that Jesus died, in the Bible, what, does, what name does it give it? I don't know if you picked it up, but I highlighted it. What name does the, day, the Bible give the day that Jesus died? It calls it the preparation day. That's what it called it. By the way, I'm just curious, but when we just recently had Easter weekend, what do we call the day before Easter Sunday? What do we call it? Good Friday, right? So that's, that's what they call it, Good Friday. Okay, the next day obviously is the Sabbath. And then the day that Jesus rose, what, does, what name does the Bible give it? It calls it the first day. That's all it calls it, okay? Now, you and I both know that Good Friday and Easter Sunday have one day right in between them. Does that make sense? And that's Saturday, okay? So that's the easiest way that we could figure out which day. Now, what does Jesus say about the Sabbath? He said the Sabbath was made for who? Now, notice, I want to point something out. The Sabbath was not made in connection with the Jews. It was after God created the world in six days, and then he said, look, I want this to be a memorial for people to know that I'm the creator. Does that make sense? So that's why it doesn't say the Sabbath was made for the Jew. By the way, in the Greek, the word man is the Greek word anthropos. It means mankind, all right? So in Matthew 24, Jesus said, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So now I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus gave the message in Matthew 24 to disciples who would be living right before the destruction of Jerusalem and also for the believers who would experience the second coming right before the end of the world. Notice that he told them, now please keep this in mind, in its historical context, he told them that they should pray when the destruction would come to Jerusalem, pray that they don't have to flee on the Sabbath day. Now, you have to think, he knew that that destruction was coming in the year A.D. 70. That's 40 years after Jesus died. And he said, pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath. Even if you go into the New Testament, in the book of Acts, this is what you'll find. When the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the gen by the way, what day do the Jews go to the synagogue? What day? Sabbath, right? Saturday. The Gentiles besought, now don't miss this, that these words might be preached to them the next day. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? The next what? Now, don't miss that. If Christians were worshiping in honor of the resurrection, the Gentiles should have said, hey, Paul, we got a church service tomorrow. You come and preach that great sermon you just preached today to the Jews in the synagogue. But that's not what they said. You know why? Because even in the book of Acts, the Christians were still worshiping on the day that God gave to commemorate creation. In Acts 18, and he reasoned in the synagogue every what? Sabbath, and he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now, when you go through the book of Acts, and here, let me point something out. Acts was written by Luke. Luke was a Gentile. You know how you know that? When you read the Gospel of Luke or you read the book of Acts, Luke will say things like the city of the Jews, the Passover of the Jews. Luke never calls it the Sabbath of the Jews. Do you know why? Because the Sabbath was made at creation. It had no connection 
to Moses or to anyone else in particular. Now, where did prophecy point to this change? It said it in Daniel 7, that they would think to change times and laws. And I want you to know that the Catholic Church was instrumental in almost every Protestant church today keeping Sunday as a holy day. Here's what they teach in their catechism. Which day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath. This is in the catechism now. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now, this is another Catholic scholar. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. Here's another Catholic scholar who said, there is but one church on the face of the earth which has the power or claims power to make laws binding on the conscience, binding before God, binding under the penalty of hellfire. For instance, the institution of Sunday. What right has any other church to keep this day? You answer, by virtue of the third commandment. Now, if you go to the catechism, they've removed the second commandment, so that shifts everything up, which says, remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. But Sunday is not the Sabbath. Any schoolboy knows that Sunday is the first day of the week. I have repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who will prove by the Bible alone that Sunday is the day we are to keep, and no one has called for the money. It was the Holy Catholic Church that transferred the day of rest from Saturday, the seventh day of the week, to Sunday, the first day of the week. Anybody ever hear of the movie with Tom Cruise called War of the Worlds? Okay, so the, the guy who wrote that novel, his name was H.G. Wells. He actually wrote history books. In his Outline of History, Volume 1, in the section that deals with the 4th century A.D., this is what he wrote. During this indefinite time, a considerable amount of a sort of theocracia seems to have gone on between the Christian cult and the almost equally popular and widely diffused Mithraic cult. Now, just to clarify, Mithraism was the worship of the sun. And the cult Serapsis Isis Horus. From the former, it would seem that Christians adopted Sunday as their chief day of worship instead of the Jewish Sabbath. So, who changed the Sabbath? The, the Bible doesn't teach that God did because God says, for I am the Lord, I do not what? Change. And Jesus didn't change it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I want to read something from Hebrews 9. It says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. That's Old Testament, or I'm sorry, that's Old English. But you could put the word will in there, and that would make perfect sense. For where, there, for where a will is, there must also of necessity be the death of the will giver. Does that make sense? So does it make sense that a will only goes into effect after the person dies? Does that make sense? If you want to change the will, when do you have to change it? Before you die, right? I don't care how good a lawyer you have. After the person dies, the will is set in stone. Does that make sense? So here's what it says. For a testament is a force after men are dead or will. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Now, let me point something out. Most Christians will be under the understanding that we keep Sunday because Jesus resurrected on that day. The problem with that idea is, first of all, number one, if Jesus wanted to change the commandments, when should he have changed it, before or after he died? Which one? Before. 
The other problem with that is that nowhere in the Bible is there a command that he did so. And I'm telling you this because other scholars have also researched this. The Bible doesn't say that we should keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. But Hebrews 4.4 says this, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. There remaineth therefore a what? A rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest hath also ceased from his own what? Works as God did from his. I know that there are some of you sitting in here tonight and you're thinking, this sounds like old covenant. This sounds like legalism. So I want to clarify this. Legalism is the idea that we can earn in some way our salvation by what we do. Does that make sense? Now, I want to make this point. No commandment keeping can ever merit us salvation. We keep the commandments because we love Jesus. Does that make sense? And if you were here Wednesday night, I shared with you the only way that you can keep the commandments is if you have love. Does that make sense? Love is the fulfilling of the law. But look at Hebrews 4.10. It says, He that is entered into his rest hath also ceased from his own works. Now let's pause. What day did God rest? On the seventh day. Why did he, why did he rest? Because he finished his work. Does that make sense? So the author of Hebrews is saying, if you rest on the same day that God is resting then it's a sign that you have rested from your own what? Works. The Sabbath is a sign that God saves me by His grace, and I'm not being saved by my own works. Because I am resting on the day that God rested. Does that make sense? I want to point one, another principle out. When you study the Bible, if something is true, it will be true from the beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end of the Bible. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you're in this seminar or if you're watching something on TV or if you're reading a book. If something is true in the Bible, it will be true all through the Bible. Does that make sense? Now, this is the point that I want to really stress or emphasize because today, Christians are being told, you know, in honor of the resurrection. Did you know that Jesus gave us a ceremony that commemorates his resurrection. Look at this. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his what? Resurrection. So, friends, there is a ceremony. It's called baptism. But you won't find anywhere that there is some record being made of Jesus telling us that we should keep the first day in honor of his resurrection. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about the Lord's Day. This is Revelation 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. If you read the entire first chapter, John doesn't say which day is the Lord's day. But Jesus already told us. He said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is what? Lord also of the? 
Did you remember what we shared earlier? Jesus is the creator. Does that make sense? And what's the memorial of his creative power? He gave us this day. Think about this. God knew that if he made a memorial, I am the God who made you, Satan would just hack it down. So you know what God did? He made a memorial in time. You can't break that. I mean, you can't get rid of it. Does that make sense? It's like your birthday. That day is a commemoration of the day that you were born. Does that make sense? That's what God did with this memorial. It was to remind everyone that he was the creator. Now, I know that there are some of you right now, you're thinking, I mean, what's the big deal? If I love Jesus, does it really matter? So, to answer that, I want to ask you a question. Does it matter to God if we took his name in vain, yes or no? Yeah, it matters. Does it matter to God if we kill? By the way, that would matter to the police too, right? But I want you to just think about this. The fourth commandment is no more a commandment than any of the other nine, but it is no less a commandment than any of the other nine. Now, let me give you an illustration. <laughs> My wife is from a large family. She has nine brothers and sisters. That's a lot. And um, I got to tell you, uh, my two of the women in my wife's family worked as runway models. So like my wife was a model, my wife's sister still works as, as a model in Milan, Italy. Okay, so like they are in this beauty industry. And I got to tell you, when I got married, it was kind of an interesting thing because um, well, we, we had a ceremony here. We had one ceremony in her own country. So we did one in Romania. And I got to tell you, like, her family came. And I want you to picture in your mind, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting at the altar, and, you know, the bride comes in. And the preacher says, you know, do, you know, you do the vows. And then he says, you may now kiss the bride. I lift the veil, and it's not her. It's her sister. No, I want you to imagine. It just didn't happen. But I want you to imagine, okay. <laughs> And I want you to imagine the sister saying, well, one out of seven. It doesn't really matter, right? But it does matter, right? It does, because there's only one that you've chosen, that one that's set apart. Does that make sense? And that's the same thing. Look at James 2, verse 10. Now, I'm, I'm reading this to you because I want you to understand. The Bible is a whole. It's a unit. The commandments, and, and I, I, I encourage you to, to go back and look at this. The commandments are a whole piece. They're one law. And if you go and do a survey of, the most, of churches, if you ask around and you ask someone, hey, does God still want us to keep the commandments? Most churches will say, no. The commandments were nailed to the cross. That makes me nervous because does that mean it's okay to steal? Does that, you know, but anyway... So then the, the next question is, well, if they say, oh, it's, yes, God wants us to keep the commandments, then you say, well, what about the fourth one? And if you think about it, why would nine of them be binding, but one not binding, right? And I know some of you are thinking, well, that one was just for the Jews. But go back and look and see the origin of the fourth commandment. It had nothing to do you can read in Exodus 16, there was already something special about the seventh day, even before the commandments were given. Now, this is how the Bible describes God's last day people. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the what? 
the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You know, folks, I believe that in the last days, God's people, they'll be keeping all the commandments. Now, I know that there are some of you in here that have been Christians all your life, and you might know the Bible pretty well. And some of you are thinking, I know there is a verse that talks about the first day of the week and the disciples getting together and worshiping. Well, tomorrow night, I am going to share with you from the Bible, in the New Testament, there are eight references where the first day of the week is mentioned. Does that make sense? So the first day of the week is mentioned, and I want to share with you each of those passages because if it's in the Bible, I'm not afraid to look at it. Does that make sense? But not just that. Tomorrow night, I'm going to show you if you're Baptist, if you're Methodist, if you're Church of Christ, if you're Episcopalian, if you're Catholic, if you're Anglican, if you're Presbyterian, I think I mentioned that already, every denomination has a statement on this issue. And I'm going to show you something that you may have never seen before. All of these churches will not contest what I am saying to you right now, okay? So I want to make this point because tomorrow night, it's going to be twofold. I'm going to, number one, show you all the references in the New Testament where the first day of the week is mentioned. The second part is I'm going to show you what all these churches have to say. And then I'm going to show you the history of when it happened. Because most people don't know this. It happened in the 4th century AD. For the first 200 years of Christianity, every Christian kept the seventh-day Sabbath. It wasn't until Constantine and Rome got involved that this is when history started to take a, divert, a, like a diverting course from what the Bible said. And that point in history also marks when Easter being anchored to the, 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 the spring solstice and all of these other pagan traditions crept into the Christian church. So I'm going to share that history tomorrow night. I want to just make this point as we close this evening. You see, I'm not here to make you feel guilty or to try to make someone feel like, oh, you know, they're, they're wrong. The, the goal here is to show you what the Bible says. And I want to just reiterate what Jesus said about this point because Jesus said that obedience, it really stems from love. Do you remember this verse? If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. In the original Greek, it's if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? And I want to remind you of something I said earlier in the seminar. If something is true, it will be in harmony with God's law. Jesus will have lived it or taught it. And by the way, Jesus kept the Sabbath 1,700 times during his lifetime, okay? Um, if it's true, it will be in harmony with what the Bible teaches. The other thing I wanted to say is I know when a subject like this comes up, it's mind-boggling because some of you are sitting here thinking, how could all of the Christian world be wrong? Can I remind you that there was a point in history when everybody believed that the world was flat? Do you remember that? By the way, what's really alarming is that that's coming back now, okay? But look, I, and I am not here to, you know, maybe some, there are some of you that believe that, but I just want to say this. Scientifically, it's pretty clear that the earth is round, all right? But... There was a point when people believed that the earth was flat. Now, do you know, like when Galileo, one of these scientists, tried to controvert what was being taught, 
the Catholic Church and, and other, you know, authorities, they basically condemned him and threw him in prison and said he was crazy, okay? Just because a lot of people believe something, that doesn't make it true. Does that make sense? Now, on the same token, just because I said something, that doesn't make it true either, right? So here's your homework assignment. You go back. You can talk to your pastor, your priest. If you have a rabbi, he's going to say what I'm saying, okay? But you can ask anybody. But remember, ask this question. Where does it say in the Bible, right? You want to know from the Bible, amen? And I want to just read one more verse. This is from the book of Samuel. I've always liked this passage. But Samuel is speaking... Um, about to um, Samuel is speaking, I forget what the context of this particular quote, but I like this last part of the verse. He says, be it far from me, for them that honor me will I honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. As we finish tonight, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray, and then I have an announcement as we close. Father in heaven, I know that tonight's subject is very different than what maybe we may have always understood or believed. And I know that when a subject like this is presented, no doubt there are questions. Lord, I pray that each one here who's honest will go back and look in the Bible for themselves. Let them see, let them research, let them find the truth for themselves. And if they understand it, help them to follow it. For we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen.